2 Corinthians chapter 4. I've got to figure out how to make a 45-minute sermon shorter. We'll, we'll get there, though. Don't forget your membership bag on your way out this evening. We have two tables set up in the back, two tables in the front. I'll go ahead and reveal to you some of the stuff that's in there. And then you can find the other stuff. We have a pretty nice water bottle here with a Renew logo on it. Uh, that's like a workout bottle. Those things get hard to open sometimes. Not this one specifically, but those kind. Uh, we have our church calendars already in there. So have to, brother Billy, it's good to see you, brother. Brother Billy, amen. Praise the Lord. Glad you're here this evening. You weren't in a deacon's meeting, but I won't hold that against you. Um, but I'm glad you're here this evening, Brother Billy. And then we have a mouse pad there with a Renew logo. The idea is that if you work at a place that has a computer, you might take that and put that at your desk. It might be a conversation starter for somebody at work. Uh, we have a little notepad there. You can take sermon notes on there. It's got a pen, uh, all sorts of good stuff. And then it's got a uh, window. They call this not a decal, but a cling, okay? So it's not a sticker. You can remove it anytime you want, like when you become a member of a different church. Uh, but uh, my prayer is, my hope is that you'll put this on your window and, um, and uh, folks would start to learn our logo around town when you go in and pull into a parking spot uh, at maybe uh, your kid's soccer game or something like that. They'll say, oh, you go to that church over there full of coon hunters and rednecks. You say, yep. And they say, which one are you? They say, I'm a red coon hunter. And so uh, do whatever you want, but... Uh, that was a corny joke. You guys shouldn't have bailed me out with a laugh there. Uh, but anyway, uh, if you're going to put that sticker on there, be nice. Occasionally stop somebody, stop and help somebody if they're, you know, stranded on the side of the road. Don't just pass by and say, hey, you should have thought about that before you ran out of gas. But just think about that type of thing. But uh, our prayer is that you can use these in several different areas uh, and they'll be a blessing to you throughout the year. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 16 i got to be honest, uh, preaching this passage uh, with just these few verses that we have, these three verses, is a little bit criminal because 2 Corinthians chapter 4 has so much richness and so much depth. But we're just going to try to focus on the last three verses for time's sake. But the Bible says in verse number 16, For which cause we faint not. But though our inward man perish, or our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. The Apostle Paul knew what it was to struggle. In fact, 2 Corinthians, we find out quite a bit about the Apostle Paul's struggle. I think even in modern day life, with all the conveniences that we have, I mean, we have robots that can vacuum our floors by the touch of a button. We have uh, uh, help machines that we can get to play our radios while we're in the shower by just voice commands. I mean, we can get groceries built up just by using our voice and starting with the word Alexa. I saw something the other day that said, if I could make one life change, it would be go back 15 years and not name my daughter Alexa. But, I mean, we have so many modern day conveniences, and yet it seems like the fast-paced society that we live in is so hard sometimes. 
We're faced with all sorts of struggle and we face battles that have never been faced before and yet we have all these things that are supposed to make life easier and yet it's harder to fit things into our schedule. It's harder to be able to prioritize the things that really matter. I mean, everything is supposed to be easier now. We can cook supper by just pulling up to a window now. And yet, as convenient as our society is, it's hard sometimes. And life gets frustrating. And you don't always have the answers for it. The Apostle Paul knew what it was to want life one way and not get it. He knew what it was to go through struggle. In fact, in 2 Corinthians, uh, in verses 8 and 10 of our passage, he even says these words. He says, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. Paul knew what it was to have a frustrated life where... He had goals and he had ambitions, but they just weren't coming to fruition the way that he thought they should. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verses 8 and 9, the Bible tells us, For we would not, brethren, have you to be ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead. Even in the first chapter of 2 Corinthians, Paul introduces us to how frustrating life had become at times for him. Later on in the book of 2 Corinthians in chapter number 11, Paul goes on, and you're probably familiar with this, but he says, Are they the ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews five times I received forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils by the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among the false brethren. He had a lot of perils. And the Apostle Paul knew what it was to want life one way and think that he had it all mapped out, and yet it just did not work out the way that he wanted it to. Frustration, struggle, and confusion. A recent poll showed that over 75% of Americans deal with high and intense stress. And the sources of these stress, the most common of them were, number one, occupational demands. Just work and the struggle that it caused and put on their body. The second was finances. The third, physical health. And the fourth, relationships. I think we all know what it is to be frustrated in your endeavors or in your pursuits of one or more of these areas. We, we all get to the place in life where we just struggle and it seems like life has become hard. And oftentimes in that moment, we look for retreats. How many of y'all have ever thought, man, I cannot wait till vacation gets here. That'll give me a break to kind of rest and recuperate. Then you finally get to go on the vacation that you've been looking forward to so long, schedule your itinerary so full that by the time you return, you're more tired than you were when you left, and now you've got to take on the same problems you had when you left. I've heard that before. Oh, it'll just get better if we can just go on vacation. Hey, vacations don't fix it. We look to retreats. 
We look to resolutions. Every year the calendar flips to a new page and we come to January and everybody gets these big goals and aspirations. They say, oh, I'm going to join a gym this year. Oh, I'm going to get on a diet this year. And we like the fresh start feeling and we look to become resolved in an area and we say, oh, I'm going to drink more water this year. I'm going to only eat healthy foods until I come to a McDonald's and I think, man, those fries sound really good right now. I mean, we, we, we love our resolutions and oftentimes when life becomes difficult and maybe we struggle with a relationship in life, we say, oh, well, I'm going to endeavor to do this and I'm going to fix this. And we resolve to be better only to grow more frustrated at our lack of success. We look toward, towards retreats. We look towards resolutions. And then uh, kind of another area we, fit, we go to is resources. We start to read about others' experiences, don't we? We like to find somebody who knows what we're going through and we read all about it because, oh, they've gone through it. They must have mastered it. Oh, they've gone through it. They're an expert in the area. And we look to them as if they're some source of uh, truth and inspiration that will help us overcome our problems. And yet in all the frustration, the one person we forget to go to is God. God. It seems so obvious and we sing songs about it, but God is the answer for the Christian life. And if there's a problem in your life or if you've become frustrated with the place of your Christianity, the answer is not reading more daily devotionals. The answer is not reading a little bit more scripture. The answer is not finding some inspirational guy who can lead you in how to come to a disciplined routine. The answer is turn to Jesus. And yet in all of our pursuit of it, we fail to see true renewal. And the Apostle Paul gives us here three very important reasons why we need to be renewed. I'm pruning out a lot of my sermons so y'all can thank me later. But the first reason is this, to avoid fainting. Verse number one in chapter four says, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry as we have received mercy, we faint not. Verse number 16, the Bible says, for which cause we faint not. It's like bookends to what a, a beautiful chapter in Scripture as he starts with this idea, we cannot faint. And then he goes in verse number 16 and kind of closes out the whole thought and encapsulates it and says, we cannot faint. And he gives us two primary reasons why we can't faint. Number one, because we have a, a very important ministry. In verse number one, he says it's the ministry of the gospel. We've been given this ministry, and it's the ministry to tell others about the Lord Jesus. And I'll tell you, I think the number one leading cause to why we don't witness like we should is this. We feel unworthy. And I'll say this. I went to Bible college where we had five sermons a week in chapel. Then we had devotionals about every night. Then we went to a, a, some probably music hall where they gave a sermon or something on Saturday night. Then we had a message on se uh, Sunday morning. We had Sunday school. And then we had preaching on Sunday night. And what I found was in my endeavor to be the right kind of Christian, I grew frustrated because the guy on Monday morning would preach, Oh, how long have you been travailing in prayer? Have you been travailing in prayer? I mean, how, how long is the longest you've spent in prayer lately? And I'd sit there and I'd say, Well, I got in a solid 15-minute one the other day, and 
You know, I became convicted about the fact I wasn't praying enough. And then the next guy on Tuesday morning, he preached a sermon and says, Men ought always to pray. Men ought always to pray and not faint. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, I ought to pray longer and now I've got to pray all the time? I'm just going to be praying all the time. I'm going to have to pray and long and all the time. I mean, and, and in this pursuit of becoming the perfect Christian, I became obsessed with my own Christian life. And I would, somebody would come, oh, are you being the type of Christian? Do you have the testimony out in the community that you need to have? And, and I thought to myself, man, I need to make sure that my walk's right and my talk's right. And when, when I come to somebody, they know they've ha- kind of met a Christian, somebody that has the love of God in them. And, and you know, I, I would get encouraged by that. And Wednesday morning sermon, I, I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to live the lifestyle I need to set so that others will see my good works and they'll glorify my Father which is in heaven. And I, I would think about that. And then the guy on Thursday would come and preach are you witnessing to every creature are you going out to the highways and the byways of life and witnessing to every creature and what i found was in my pursuit to become the perfect christian i became so overly obsessed about my own christian walk that i failed to realize there's people that don't even have a christian walk we feel unworthy to witness sometimes because we don't have it all figured out i mean we're still working on us right we're, we're just still trying to make sure that the cuss word doesn't slip. We're trying to get in our 15 minutes a day of prayer. We're trying to read our daily proverb. And yet, in all of this, in all of our time and obsession to become the best Christian that we can be, we fail to realize that there's people out there that don't know Jesus. Paul even said, when I have preached to others, he says, I bring my body into subjection. I put it under myself. Lest when I have preached to others... I myself would become a castaway. Paul was concerned about this. He wasn't, he said, I'm worried about my life. I'm making sure I'm living the right kind of life. But the most important thing that I have to focus on is not whether I squeeze my proverb in today. It's whether the person that I talk to at the grocery store is going to hell. And preachers have focused so much on you that what we've done is we've forgot about them. Look, I'm not here to make make you feel bad, but we've got to make sure we're not fainting because our ministry is so important. Can you imagine seeing some little boy and some little girl on a bus route somewhere and they just don't know about Jesus? They've never heard about him and you're just driving on by with a bus? Can you imagine just ushering somebody into hell? Our ministry is so important. We've got to make sure that we do not faint in our ministry. Not only is our ministry important, but our mortality is indisputable. The Bible says in verse number 16, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. The Apostle Paul uses a a comparison here. And these comparisons are at opposite ends of the spectrum. He uses the outward man which is the things that are seen by others, and the inward man, which is the things seen by God. And he uses this as a comparison. And what we do and what our world naturally does is we value the things which we can see. Right? We place inherent value on beauty. It doesn't matter what you think beauty is. Uh, Brother Billy and Miss Mary have a dog, and I'm sure Miss Mary thinks that's a beautiful dog. I do not happen to agree with her, though. And that's okay. She maybe values the beauty of that dog. It it doesn't really matter what your definition of beauty is, but we've been taught to value 
beautiful things. And so we like focusing on the outward. It's what we know of. But God says, remember what he told Samuel? Samuel, you're going to get up to David and he's going to be short. He's not going to look very kingly, but don't focus on the outward appearance as other men see, seeing I have refused him. For God looketh on the heart. We've got to understand that there's a difference between the inner man or the inward man and the outward man. What do we place the most emphasis on? Our society, our culture, and everybody deems that we become beautiful. But God's concerned about who you are on the inside. Look, your diet plan and your workout plan don't mean a hill of beans to God unless you're right with Him inwardly. We've got to make sure that we understand our mortality is indisputable. And what He's saying is those things which are outward, they're dying. They're perishing. And the things that are inward, they're actually growing and they can flourish through God's power. There's two things about this. Number one, this is a certain fact. I love Brother Matt Hodges. He's a good old guy. And uh, the other day, Matt grew up in my youth department. Were you there about three years, Matt, before you graduated, something like that? The other day we had an alumni game down at this Christian school and we all played a little basketball. I actually got to coach Matt's senior year, I believe it was, and I would come to practice and I'm maybe 25 years old. I'd come to practice and, and I'd play with those guys and man, I'd come in the next day and I'd be limping and Matt and Garrett and all those guys, they'd make fun of me. They'd call me old man and all this stuff. Well, the other day we had an alumni game and uh, Matt played and I played and the next day at church, or I guess it was Sunday at church, he comes to me and goes, man, are you hurting? I was like, no, 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 no. You used to make fun of me. See, Matt, he's a young guy. He's in good shape. You can ask anybody in this room with a little bit of gray hair, our bodies are dying. This is a certain fact. God said it even in the book of Genesis that we were made out of the dust and out of the dust we would return. This body was not meant forever. It was not made to live forever. And so what we do is we focus on the external when God says the only thing in your life that can grow and develop and flourish right now is the inward man. But yeah, we don't focus on that. We cannot faint. We cannot grow weary of investing in the inward man. God values what's on the inside. It doesn't happen overnight. It's a process. You know, like a baby, the Bible compares us to babes in Christ. It says, as, babes, as newborn babes desiring the sincere milk of the word of God, that ye may grow thereby. You know one thing I've learned about babies? I've learned about babies that it's one bottle at a time, one applesauce at a time, one chicken nugget at a time. And day by day, you don't actually notice a progression of growth. But you look back a couple years and you'll see that they're not the same kid they were. I remember cheering that Caitlin would hold her own bottle. Now I'm like, Caitlin, stop asking me for a drink. Right? Why? I've seen growth. It didn't happen overnight but it eventually happened. You know another thing babies do? They expel waste. Sometimes they make a mess. Sometimes you got to clean up after them. That's what babes do. We've got to focus on the inward man. Failure is not a predictor of your future. 
understand that failure is a key to growth in the Christian life. No, we, we can grow. We are made more than conquerors through him that loved us. So, number one, the reason we need renewal is because it will avoid fainting. Number two, it will help us assess our frustrations. Verse number 17. The Bible says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Paul uses a term here. He says, affliction. Uh, This is translated several times in the New Testament as the word tribulations. But the root word here actually refers to intense pressure being applied. In fact, it's the same word that they use to explain or describe when somebody was smushing grapes and they were trying to get the juice expelled from the grapes. They were trying to get the grapes uh, to become juice, and, and they were getting the, that pressure that was applied. That, that was the word used here. This affliction, this high intense pressure. And the Apostle Paul says, we, we, we've got to renew because when we renew, we learn a few things about the pressures of life. Number one, we learn how to rightly assess the size of the pressure. You see, he says, it's for our light affliction. Have you ever known a little bit of a drama queen? Who, who went, Bailey is actually a little bit of a drama queen. Caitlin will take something from Bailey, and man, like she'll take a Shopkin or an LOL or something, just her drink or something. Bailey doesn't have like levels four through nine. It's just one to ten, man. She's either cool, calm, and collected or screaming at the top of her lungs on the floor. I mean, there is no such thing as a light affliction with Bailey. That's the way some of us are sometimes, though. Right? I mean, the littlest thing upsets us at work and we come home, you would not believe what happened today. You know why we need renewal? It's because it helps us assess our frustrations. When we're renewed by God, we say, hey, Jesus has died for me. Jesus went through everything that I could ever go through in this world. It helps us realize that our afflictions really, when we compare them to the affliction that Jesus endured, aren't really all that big. Helps us see the size of the affliction. Number two, it helps us see the span of the affliction. You notice in verse number 16, he says, or verse number 15 uh, he says, not only our light affliction, or 17, not only for our light affliction, which is but for a, what's the next word there? Moment. I've asked people this question time and time again. How long's a moment? Nobody really knows, but when we say it, we usually don't think of a long span of time. But Paul says, our affliction is always momentary. In fact, the mere reality of the affliction proves to you it's uh, the fact that it's temporary. You say, what do you mean, Brother Andrew? I mean, the fact that the affliction just showed up means that it wasn't always there. And it means that it won't always be there. When we renew daily in Christ, we not only see the size of our afflictions, that they're not bigger than God. We see that the span of them in comparison to the eternity that is, is not really all that big. We see not only the size, the span, we see the significance of every affliction. 
Notice in verse number 17, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh. Now, here's what I need you to do. I need everybody to look at your Bible, verse number 17. The Bible says, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh. What are the next two words there? For us. Hold on, hold on. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh what? For us. Now, afflictions are generally perceived as working against us, right? When your kids are at the restaurant and they're not behaving, we're not saying, now you stop being so, you stop working for mommy and daddy. I mean, you're thinking, I will kill you, right? Why do you think that? Because it seems like they're going in an opposite direction. They're pulling one way, you're pulling another. And that's the way we perceive afflictions in the Christian life. Our pressures are not working for us, they're working against us. But the Apostle Paul teaches something different. He says all of our afflictions are working for us. The Bible puts it like this in James chapter 1. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Same word there used in our passage. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. The significance of all of our, our, our uh, uh, pressures of life is that God is working them for our good and for His glory. So we not only assess our frustrations when we renew, we not only avoid fainting when we renew. I want you to see thirdly, we're almost done. We accurately focus when we renew daily. Verse number 18, the Bible says this. While we, what's that word there? Look, not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. So he uses the word seen two different times there, but that's not the same word used in the Greek. It's two different words. Now, they do mean both to look, but one is actually the word skopio. And so it says, while we look not at the things which are scopio, but at the things which are not blepo. Now, does that mean a great deal to all of us in the room this evening? Scopio, blepo? Well, scopio actually is the word we get scope from. Or binoculars, you know, we microscope, telescope. You know what you have to do with all of those things? You have to intentionally focus on the thing that is desired to see. So he says in verse number 18, while we scope out and intentionally focus, not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, we focus on the things which we cannot easily see. You see, blepo means to see at a glance. For instance, the best way I can put it to you, we're almost done. Give me maybe seven extra minutes this evening. Uh, have you ever been guilty of, this is not judgmentalism, this is just a, an activity of sorts, but how many of you have ever been guilty of people watching with your spouse? And me and my wife, the other day, we went to the food court at the mall. Man, the food court is a great place to watch people. And uh, the airport is another great place to watch people. But, but occasionally me and my wife will watch people. And the whole time as you watch people, you are blepoing them. You're glancing at them, right? And what are you trying to do? 
you're trying to assess whether or not they're worth studying. You know, if they have a weird hairdo, I might need to take a better look at them. Uh, if, if, if maybe they're carrying a, a strange bag of sorts and I want to hey, say to my wife, I wonder why that big strong man has a pink Jaguar print backpack. You know, you, we wonder these things. And so, and so we blepo everyone. But when we find, let's just say, a good one, we scopio them. And we say, Amy, look at that guy. <laughs> what we're saying is, we glance at everyone, but we focus on one thing in particular. The instruction of Scripture tonight is this, that the things which are easily seen just by a glance, those are not worth anything. But the things that we can intentionally focus on, those are worth seeing. In fact, the Bible says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, that's worth seeing. He says, eternal and temporary. He, he points out the difference that there is an investment to be had in eternal things and not one in temporal things. I got to thinking, and as I was studying and preparing for this message, how much time I wasted in my youth on things that really didn't matter. I thought about when I was a kid, my parents taking me to what we call play days, which were we'd get on horses and it was like a mini rodeo for kids. And I'd go to the rodeo there and my parents would wake up at 6 a.m. in the morning. We'd drive up there, get the horse trailer unloaded. We'd get the horses out and I would sit there and I would uh, uh, wait all day to run about six events. And we were there many times until two in the morning. And I thought to myself, man, that was a lot of time. Now, I'm not saying play days are wasteful or useful, but I'm saying when I look at my life now, they didn't really do anything for me. I mean, it was maybe some fun had and maybe some memories, uh, sure, but there's nothing substantial about that that I gained. And then I got to thinking about all the times I spent preparing to play athletics in high school. I mean, looking at me now, I'm sure you can tell that I was just a fantastic athlete back in when I was in school, but... but I mean, I, I shot baskets, even when, man, when football season got around, even today, my dad's trees are all skinned up from where I'd go in the yard, and I'd, I'd roll out, man, and I was, I was throwing at a tree on the run, and the ball would scrape the trees. Even today, they're scraped up from where I do that. And I got to thinking, all the games, won, or some of the, a few of the games won, all the awards, accolades, recognition. Are you impressed with me? I mean, sure, I had fun. I'm sure my mom and dad were proud. It was a good thing. But what do I have to show for it now? I mean, I'm not saying these things are useless. I think that I learned a lot in sports. I think I learned how to play with a team. I, I think I learned how to be a graceful loser. I mean, I, th I learned a lot of things. But my point is this. What are we investing in that when we look back on our life a few years removed, we'll say, no, that was worth the time. I guess you could probably ask Brother Adam tonight if the time spent with James Scott was worth it. 
I mean, maybe they didn't do much. I know me and Brian Cohn, we went out, we got drinks, and we'd go visiting. We'd go visit bus kids. And yet I look at my life and I compare those Saturday afternoons spent with Brian Cohn to my whole high school career of athletics, and I say, which one mattered more? The point is made, the reason we need renewal is because if we don't, we'll fail to accurately estimate the value and worth of things. So easy to get sidetracked by the things which aren't important and forget about the things are important. And that, my friend, is why we need renewal. Renewal gives us the mind and heart of God so that we don't think with our mind and heart. Renewal helps us see what God truly values in life.